Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Oh oui, partez. Oh oui. Oh oui. Oh oui, ce qu'a fait Thomas Partey pour Pierre-Henri Comarmeillon glossé. Oh, et de deux. Et de deux pour Arsenal. Et le sourire de Boucaillon Saka. Oh, et de deux. Oh, et de deux. Boucaillon Saka. Oh, et de deux. Saka. Oh, et de deux. Saka. Boucaillon. Boucaillon. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnerblog. James, good morning to you. Good morning to you too, Andrew. How you doing today? I'm all right. This is a bit of a landmark episode. This is number is 400. Arscast Extra 400. Wow. And coincidentally, that's the amount of times Arsenal were offside against Benfica. <laughs> Do you know what, though? You know what I've realised in the, the the span of these 400 episodes? Yeah. Is that there is no secret. <laughs> I I thought there was a secret, but there isn't a secret. And I saw people getting free Kit Kats. And I thought, mm. what What do they know? What do they know that I don't know? Yeah. And I can tell everyone right now, just believe in yourself, set mm. up a website, spend the best part of 20 years running that website, mm. then set up a podcast nearly 15 years later, down the line with thousands of episodes, thousands of hours of audio in the can, so to speak, and you too can get free Kit Kats. I know. It's amazing. I can't, I can't it's believe so the simple. life we're leading, Andrew. And all we needed to do was take those simple steps. Have you eaten any of your free Kit Kats? I, I have, yeah. I've, I've eaten quite a lot of the orange Kit Kats because I am dangerously addicted. I, I'm, I'm sort of almost as addicted to orange Kit Kats as I am to yellow M&Ms. Okay. Are you now hoping that someone from M&Ms is listening? 100%. Yeah. 100%. Yellow M&Ms are the best thing ever, et cetera, et cetera. There we go. <laughs> sure. But yeah, and our address is. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah no, I, I had a Kit Kat. I had a Kit Kat uh, after the game. Mm. It's there an orange Kit Kat to kind of, you know, I, I felt I needed some sort of closure on the evening and, and the Kit Kat provided it. So thank you. So that's good. Time. Who knew that it had the properties to heal whatever was going on in your brain with regards football and Arsenal, which of course can do um, many things to all of our brains and hearts and other bits, I guess. So what was your what was your state of mind at the end of that game that required you to, to partake in partake. the sustenance of the orange Kit Kat. What was it? What was your gut feeling that you said, I have to have orange Kit Kat to help me cope with this? I think I was a bit confused, to be honest with you, Andrew, because 
Well, I, I thought there was quite a lot um, that was positive about the performance, mm. but I don't know if that's an opinion that's widely shared. Um, certainly from the replies I got on my social media, a lot of people were really frustrated by Arsenal's performance in this game. Mm. I was frustrated much more by the opportunities they missed, um, but I was encouraged by the fact they created them, if you see what I mean. So I yeah. came away from it feeling like... Uh, that is weird. That is a sort of disappointing result given the opportunities we created. But I don't think, based on it, the second leg shouldn't hold a huge amount of fear for us, I don't think. I think we were the better team. Okay, I mean... Um has somebody broken into my house and given you my hymn sheet? Because I think we're singing from the same one right here. Oh, no. Yeah, no, How, no. Shall I take an alternative position just to make it a more interesting No, podcast? I don't think so. I, I, I think there's plenty to discuss anyway, because similar similar to you, I, I obviously am frustrated by the, the opportunities that we missed, but I'm a lot more encouraged by the fact that we created them, that we mm. um, we are a team that now... Um, fashions, uh, you know, good opportunities to score goals. And, you know, maybe my mind is still in that dark period where we didn't do that in any significant way back earlier in the season. I, I much prefer, I'm not saying it's um, something to celebrate necessarily when you when you don't score the goals that you should score in a goal or in a game, but mm. I, I am more encouraged by the fact that in the last two games, for example, we've played with this team, we've played in this system, we've played Aubameyang up front, he got a hat-trick against Leeds, he missed a hat-trick basically last night, mm -hmm. but, but if you were looking for the positives, it's that we are with him up front and with the players that we've got around him, making very good chances for him. I think, you know, it's easy to say on another day he scores two or three goals, but I do think there's there's something to that. I mean, I do recognise that there are elements of the way that we played which would have been frustrating to people, uh, particularly maybe in the last part of the game, but I think we'll, we'll come to that, that there might yeah. be some reasons for that. But... Yeah, I, I, I feel like, I also feel like there is perhaps an element of we've seen this scenario before from an Arsenal mm -hmm. perspective where we haven't made the most of our uh, our first leg or whatever it might be, or even in a second leg when we haven't scored the goals that we need to score. And in a European tie, we have been absolutely sucker punched and, and paid the price for that. So I understand if there's a, an element of people looking at that and feeling a bit traumatized by, by what might happen in the second leg. Especially given what happened last season, yeah. right? Uh, you know, and we were going to Olympiacos' stadium of all places. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, and there was a degree to which I, I think I recall in the first leg, we could have had a better lead than we did. and We missed mm. some opportunities late on there and ultimately we paid the price. Look, I can't lie. I, there is that nagging part of my brain thinking, I really hope we don't pay for this. Mm. But I suppose kind of everything up to the finishing I thought was a continuation of the improvement we've mm. seen recently and I think you know it's, like you say on another day sure but I mean Arsenal very easily could have won this game by a couple of goals um and that would have been a really excellent result. So, yeah, I, I'm not too yeah. it's, it's It's the, you know, where do you stand on the, what's the bigger problem? Is, you know, not scoring enough goals because you're not creating chances mm. a bigger problem than not scoring goals while you're creating chances? You know what I mean? I think there's, there's you know, one is significantly worse than the other for me. 
Um, yeah. If you're not seeing any way for the team to create opportunities, and I don't think that's the case. So... No, I think a lot of it is about Aubameyang, and it was interesting sort of seeing this kind of fallout of the different ways people assessed his performance. You know, there was kind of one camp that was like, well, this is what Aubameyang's all about. You know, you just got to get him loads. He, he, he gets loads of chances mm. for himself with his movement and his pace and his instincts, and he will miss some. And that's kind of, you know, the... How can I say? That's the sort of the equation you accept when you have a striker like a Bemiang. And certainly it was true in the first few years of his Arsenal career. He scored a lot of goals, but I, he missed some really presentable opportunities mm. as well. Um, and I think he was like that at Dortmund too. Then you've got other people on the other side saying, well, you know, his finishing's way off what it was last season, and this is more evidence of that. Mm. I guess that, you know, the truth, somewhat boringly, is somewhere in the middle. I mean, it is true that you can say, well, look, he's getting chances. That's great. That's a positive. It's only a positive up to a point. You yeah. know, he's, he does have to start taking them eventually. If yeah. he missed a couple more like that, I would have been worried. But I think I generally side on, sort of with you on the side of, well, you know, we are fashioning these chances and yeah. kind of law of averages some are going to go in. Yeah, look, I mean, I think he should have scored last night. I think he had a bad night in front of goal. Um, you know, yeah. it, it really depends on your glass. Is it half full that he's in those positions, his movement and, and the way the team are able to find him in those positions? For me, that's a positive. But obviously the negative is when he doesn't put the ball in the back of the net, particularly that first one from from early on when Ceballos sent Hector Bellerin down the right-hand side. And that is pretty much as, as guilt-edged a chance as you can give somebody like Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. You know, mm. that... Um, I'm not interested in what the XG was. I'm not interested in any of that. I I know the quality of this guy and his finishing and the way that he can score goals and the goals we've seen him score in the past. You know, by any standards, let alone his, that was a really bad yeah. miss. You know, the so XG there's no of that chance was four actually. It was four, four goals. Four goals. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> and yeah, he somehow conspired to get none from it. Yeah. That, that was a big. Miss. I yeah. mean, you know, and, and maybe something that he's very good at is kind of putting those things out of his mind. Mm. Uh, but maybe it did weigh on him a little bit in some of those later opportunities. You never know with a player how that might affect Maybe, them. yeah. Um, I mean, the one that he put wide, it's it's a matter of inches, isn't it? One way or the other, um, from a decent position in the box, mm. uh, Odegaard set him up. And then the, the late one where he kind of cut back inside and, and got tackled and you're looking for him maybe to use his, his left foot um, I'm not sure it was quite as clear cut on his left foot as it first no. appeared. Uh, when you look at the replays, I think there's there's little room. It would have to be the ultimate precision finish for it to go in with his left foot there. But you know, it doesn't look great when you come back uh, and you get tackled. Um, no, and the one on this sort of right channel, that's not really his side. Do you know what I mean? It's not necessarily a, a chance you've seen him take loads of times before. Um, but yeah, they, yeah, they were they were decent opportunities, and, mm. and Arsenal, particularly in that first half, you know, Benfica were playing this very very high line, and yeah. I thought we penetrated that quite effectively. Even if, as I alluded to earlier, you know, our our runs could have been timed slightly better, I think we would have had even more. Okay, let me ask you about the starting lineup. Then, were you surprised that there were no changes from the team that played Leeds? Because I was. I really felt like with the schedule that we've got, there was going to be an element of rotation, whether we liked it or not, that, that in order to keep players fresh and, and you know, not overburden some players and give some players a mm -hmm. chance, et cetera, et cetera, I thought there would be 
uh, a bit more rotation than we saw. I certainly thought there would be more than none. Now, everyone who who says we have to prioritize the Europa League, it is the the most important game. It's a more winnable game than Man City, which, of course, it is. You know, there's no question about that when you look at how good City are at the moment and our record against them in, in recent years. Anyway, I completely understand that. But I do think you could have put out a strong team last night while also making a couple of changes along the way. So were you surprised, A, that he didn't, and B, did you feel like that had an impact, not necessarily at first, but as the game went on? I think it did as the game wore on, and I think it might go some way towards explaining, you know, the slightly frustrating last 20 minutes or so of the match. Um I was a little bit surprised. I have to say, I thought that, you know, Lacazette and Pepe hadn't played a minute against Leeds and I thought one or both of them might well come in. Uh, Kieran Tierney, of course, was back in training. I wondered if he might get a start. Uh, we, we, he came off the bench in the second half, of course. But it's not the first time Arteta's done this recently. I remember after the Wolves game, we went to Aston Villa and he picked the same starting eleven. I think, and mm. said, you know... These guys, um, the guys who played so well in the first half, deserve another opportunity. And I wondered if this was just sort of the same thing, that he felt he'd found something against Leeds and decided to stick with it. Um, I probably would have mixed it up a bit more than that. But Mm. I suppose, I mean, we may come on to this later. I think it means that it will enforce a certain degree of rotation against Manchester City. I mean, if you win this game comfortably and you're looking at it thinking, well... Maybe we can even rotate more than we expected Mm. in the second leg. It probably feels like a really smart move. But now it just feels like it's sort of slightly put us in a corner where come Sunday, we're going to need to make changes. Yeah, I think we're going to have to. But at the same time, yeah, I mean, it's a different game plan, isn't it? To to Leeds uh, and and, uh, Benfica than it is for Man City. Man City is about containment as much as anything. It's not about going and attacking the, the, the bollocks off them because that's just how you get picked off by by a team like Man City. So, um, yeah, it is it is or was always going to be a slightly different team slash setup for the City game. So maybe that was what informed this. And I think, you know, you can see how it's fair enough. They played really well against Leeds. I know we conceded those couple of goals, but, but everything that we liked about the Leeds performance, um, you know, you can understand why that was in his thinking going into a game where we wanted to win and should have won. Really, this is a game we should have won by a couple of goals. Um, Mm. So, you know, if Aubameyang's finishing is a little better, then, you know, he's completely justified in terms of the team he picked. Yeah, absolutely. It's one of those, isn't it? But Mm. I, I was a little bit surprised, particularly in the case of Pepe, who has been very good recently, I thought mm. he would get a start. And um, I I wasn't convinced that both Odegaard and Smith-Rowe would start again just yeah. because, you know, we've had previous concerns about Smith-Rowe, even though he's on a very good run of games recently. And Odegaard uh, isn't necessarily the most up to speed, having not played an enormous amount in La Liga. Okay, but- okay. So if he's not the most up to speed, where do you categorise or where do you classify his performance last night? Because... I really liked Martin Odegaard last night. I thought he was superb in terms of his work rate. I thought mm. we're beginning to to now see now beginning of course he's only just played a couple of games for us and this was only his second start, but you can see 
the vision that he has in some of his passing. And I saw people comparing him to Ozil last night. You know, obviously left foot, came from Real Madrid, playmaker, etc., etc. But to me, the way he passes the ball is much more Fabregas than Ozil. The, the, the creativity that he has or the execution of the passes that he makes, uh, to me, remind me much more of Cesc Fabregas. And that's obviously very high praise. And I'm not saying Odegaard is going to be the next Cesc Fabregas or anything like that. But, you know... I wonder if the fact that he has played so little in the first half of this season, he only played eight times or something for Real Madrid, you know, is that a real bonus for us now? You know, there's an element, of course, you've got to get him match fit, you've got to get him sharp, you've got to get him aware of who he's playing with. And I think to an extent, I think some of our players need to be aware of who they're playing with. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, there are a couple of moments in, in the game where... If they just looked inside and played a pass, Odegaard had the ball in acres of space in the in the centre of the pitch, driving towards their D, and with his quality on the ball, he can he can definitely create stuff from there. But I thought it was a really encouraging performance from him, and I I liked what I what I saw a great deal. For me, I, I know Danny Ceballos was very good as well, and he played some excellent passes too. I mean, he played a, a really good pass for the goal. Uh, we'll come to that in a moment. But I, I thought Odegaard was uh, the, the real bright spot for me um, when you consider what he might bring to this team between now and the end of the season. Yeah, I thought he was good against Leeds and I thought he was better against Benfica. And actually, funnily enough, I, I do see the Ozil thing. I think it's partly in the, the spaces he picks up. You know, mm. He drops out to the right-hand side quite a lot and he has quite a kind of upright style in the way he runs. But... I thought he was very good and I think he does bring something that we have missed in our team. I mean, obviously, you know, Ozil's not been involved in it, but I think generally that ability to pick a pass in the final third to make, you know, uh, really brave decisions and have the technical quality to actually carry them through. Mm. I think he was really good. And I think, I suppose what was really encouraging is actually that, you know, it looked like he had a bit of a developing understanding with Aubameyang. Mm. Um and I'm not sure, you know, on the subject of Ozil, that's something that they ever really had. Uh, you know, Ozil had one assist for Aubameyang, I think, yeah. in his time, in their time together. But Odegaard had almost played him in a few times last night. And I think he just brings another dimension to the way we play. And uh, I do like, you know, the setup that we had against Benfica in Leeds with kind of Saka on the right, Smith Rowe on the left, mm. Odegaard centrally. I think it gives you a lot of different options. And and, and Saka and Smith Rowe were both picking up central spaces too. You know, at times they were kind of making those diagonal runs into the box. Mm. Um, there, there is something about that setup that I think works really well. But yeah, he was really good. And, and his mate, Sabias, was good too, I yeah. thought, you know. It's sort of really easy to say, oh, well, you know, they know each other from Madrid, but they do seem to have uh, a kind of, what's the word, simpatico on the pitch, uh, to borrow a Spanish term. They do seem to kind of find each other and sort of understand where they're going to pick up space. So I think that's encouraging. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk about their goal. And it came not long after we had a really good chance to go ahead. Uh, Some really nice football. You know, I know that there were frustrations about the way we ended up playing, but I thought there were some nice passages of play and certainly the build-up towards uh, that that Saka chance that he dragged wide with his left foot uh, was really good. Like, there was just this immediate injection of pace. I think it was Odegaard 
Bellerin and Ceballos involved in the build-up, um, some slick interplay. It just injected a bit of pace into how we how we got forward. And I think maybe it stood out because we didn't do that enough in the game, but it was a really good chance. And then they go up the other end uh, and get a, a, a corner, I think, and from the corner then they get the penalty. Uh, any issue with the award of the penalty? I mean, I think by the letter of the law, it's a penalty. Um, his hands are outside of his body. or You're supposed to keep your hands inside your body. You stuff in your, them in, in any your orifice you your can. Pockets. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it, I, it's not, you know, it, it feels very harsh, doesn't it? Because I don't think he's thinking, I'll block the ball here with my hands. Yeah. It's just, you know. I think it is a little bit harsh because it hits his chest first, I think, and yeah. then bounces up onto his arm. But given the position of his arms, I can see why it was given. And if it were at the other end... I wouldn't be particularly magnanimous if it wasn't given to us. So there's my little rule. No, of penalty, I think so. it probably, it, it, in the hashtag current climate, I think that is <laughs> a penalty. Um, VAR had a look at it. I tell you what was a little bit frustrating for me. Two things, actually. Um, I don't know if you experienced this, but obviously when we scored, there was a VAR check and there was a VAR check for the... Um, for the penalty itself mm. but they don't show you any replays they're not showing you what they're looking at I don't know what they no. were looking at for our goal I think it might have been checking if Aubameyang was offside in the build up I think that's potentially what it was it couldn't have been for the, the pass from Cedric to Saka um, so that was a little bit irritating the other really irritating thing was uh, on the TV coverage mm. on the fake crowd noise they'd obviously recorded crowd noise which every three three and a half minutes or so also recorded a referee's whistle in the background yeah yeah i'm not like okay i i want to believe that's an accident but as somebody who works in sound and takes a little bit of pride in the work that i do if that were me that would be absolutely deliberate just to annoy people. So whichever sound engineer put that together, fuck you. <laughs> I thought you were going to say hats off. You really no, succeeded no, no. in fuck annoying you, because I was like, millions of people. I was like, well, what's the ref blowing for now? And then play is going on. I'm going, they mustn't have heard him. And then after a while, you just kind of get used to it. But it was really irritating. Yes, it was extremely irritating. And I found the replay thing really frustrating too. I was less convinced than you that um, Cedric, uh, who was it, that Saka wasn't offside. At the first glance, I was like, mm. oh, maybe that is. So when they wouldn't even show us a replay, yeah. I had a horrible feeling that goal would be crossed off. Yeah. And in fairness to Arsenal, you know, they did get back into it pretty quickly. It was a good response, wasn't yeah. it, to going behind? It was, yeah. I mean, could have let heads go down and, you know, one of those situations where a game you should definitely be ahead in, you're all, all of a sudden behind in. Um, against the run of play, whatever whatever way you want to call it. I don't think Leno had been tested at all before the penalty. So it kind of was against the run of play. So you could, in some ways, feel a little bit sorry for yourself. But it was a great response. And I think the goal was, it's kind of underrated. I know there was a little bit of good fortune in one way towards the end of the move, but it began with <laughs> a Granit Xhaka sliding tackle in our box, and I was watching that going, oh no, oh no, we've just given away one penalty, oh no, oh look, he's got the ball, that's good, my heart can it go. Was, it was my kind of surprising, wasn't it, when he came away with the ball? It was so um, perfectly timed, I mean, we <laughs> we have to give him credit for that, it was 
perfectly timed to slide in, take the ball, and, and begin the move. And and when you look at the move, you know, we get it forward pretty quickly. There are there are few touches. I think I, I looked at this earlier on, and Emile Smith-Rowe uh, takes the most touches on the ball, takes three really quick touches. But Shaka, it's one-touch pass. You know, Sabaya's one-touch, um, you know, and a ball over the top. And, and we move it and get it forward quickly, and the run of Saka is excellent. There's a bit mm-hmm. of good fortune where the ball comes back off the face of a defender, but Aubameyang reacts keeps it alive, plays it to Odegar. Odegar's ball to Cedric is is excellent, and it's mm. a good cross, and Saka finishes. So I, I think it's an underrated goal, and I think given the, the fact that we had gone behind, to get it back so quickly was was really pleasing. Yeah, and I think you're right to pick out the one-touch thing. I mean, that Odegaard pass is a, a one-touch pass as well. Mm. And, it, it, you know, obviously it accelerates the play. Obviously it makes us more dangerous. And Bukayo Saka, you know, continues to produce end product. I mean, he really mm. is in a rich vein of form at the moment and it does feel like something's just clicking for him, doesn't it, in the final third? It does, rather. It does. And long may it last. And we're probably going to have a question in the second half about how long it can last without it, yeah. you know, uh, without managing it in, in one way or the other. So, look, you know, 1-1 one, one, and... Look, we had that Aubameyang chance not long afterwards. We made our first change not long afterwards. Cedric came off and Kieran Tierney came on. I think that was probably pre-planned to get some Mm -hmm. minutes into his legs, having been out for for so long. Um, And I was looking at it. I was looking at a a slow pitch. Uh, It looked very slow to me anyway, I thought. Um, I could be wrong, but I thought it was a a fairly slow pitch. And I, I thought... Like, how do we get more out of this game? How do we get more against a team who I think we, in some ways, had worked them out pretty quickly, hadn't we? Because we kept trying to get the ball in behind. And as you said, there were a lot of offsides. Um, But, you know, we we understood what it was we needed to do. And then I was thinking, well, how do we how do we deal with it in, you know, the second half of the second half, if you like? And I was thinking about, well, who do I want to come on? And I thought Tierney and I thought Martinelli and I thought Pepe. Those Mm -hmm. were the players that I that I wanted to see. There's an argument, I suppose, that once we took Aubameyang off, the goal threat disappeared that we didn't have another really good chance on goal did we after he went off so i'm curious as to your thoughts on on the substitutions for me it's not necessarily those changes in and of themselves it was kind of how late they were you know it was 77 minutes in so you're only giving these guys 13 minutes and mm. by that time benfica are looking at it going right we do not want to concede another away goal our substitutions were proactive, I guess you would say. We put on two attackers. At the same time, though, there has to have been some measure of um, consideration to the, the, the game state that, like, we can't push forward relentlessly and leave ourselves exposed and, and concede a goal on the break, as we have so many times in the past in, in situations like this, where for the want of trying to win it, we have given ourselves a bigger task to complete in the second leg. So I think there was an element of that to the final stages of this game. I think so. And uh, I think it's more, I think the game state and the fact that it's a two-legged tie, for me, influenced the way the match dynamics changed in that mm. last 20 minutes, more so than the individual substitutions. I mean, ultimately... Yes, Arsenal brought on attacking players in Pepe and Martinelli, but they brought them on in a fashion that was kind of like for like. And I don't think, you know, it's not as if Martinelli's not a guy who's willing to run in behind or who Mm. doesn't have speed. You know, he does offer goal threat ordinarily. But I think Benfica 
were very wary of conceding a second goal. They dropped substantially deeper. And I think you were sort of right to suggest that Arsenal maybe were a little bit cautious too. Um, you know, maybe they felt that there was a sting in the tail here for them if they were not careful. And with another 90 minutes to come, mm. they didn't want to to risk that. Um, now, I think you can debate whether that's the right decision or not, because I think the value of an away goal, rightly or wrongly, is so great that maybe you're better off chasing it. But the fact that Arteta in the last five minutes or so brought on Marindel Nenny and brought on I thought at that point you sort of we understood that he was kind of saying, well, this is the result for tonight. Um, yeah. Um, you know, it maybe should have been better, but sure. we didn't get there. I mean, I get it. I mean, I get the value of an extra away goal, uh, but I think opportunity to score that goal or those goals came earlier in the match. Yeah, and yeah, certainly. The, 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 the reality is that if you concede another goal to Benfica and they score again in the away leg or their away leg, it becomes, you know, even more difficult. So I, I kind of get why there was a caution, frustrating as it was in that in that final part of the game. Um, I'm whether, with you. My frustrations are much more with the opportunities yeah. we missed in the earlier period of the game. Yeah. For sure, you know, because we'd all be sitting here this morning if we'd gone gung-ho and uh, tried to score a goal and then got picked off on the break. I mean, there would be zero understanding of that scenario. And people would say, when are Arsenal ever going to learn, you know, how to how to manage and how to control um, European ties? And I think, yeah. you know, there was a lot of people last night, I could see it on my social media, really who thought this was a terrible game and it was a really frustrating game. And it was a frustrating game because we did, um, we did spurn those chances to, to score more goals, but it felt to me very familiar, very much like a first leg European knockout tie that, that we play and Benfica play and many teams play, you know, they, they often turn out like this cagey affairs because, you know, there, there's, uh, you know, there's so much at stake. My overriding feeling is, and people might think this is, you know, hugely optimistic based on what we've seen from Arsenal this season. But, you know, I didn't come away from this game thinking that was our one chance of beating Benfica. We should have done it on the night. I thought they were they were poor and they were there for the taking, of course. But I'm not going into this second leg hugely worried that we're facing a team who are much better than us and and this was our one opportunity to to win the game look it's arsenal there's every possibility we can contrive to make an absolute balls of the second leg i'm aware of that uh that's a bridge i'm prepared to cross when we come to it but based on what we did the chances we created what benfica did you know as frustrating as it was to not win the game i'm not massively scared by by them for the second leg no and you know maybe this was them on a very bad night but they are the fourth best team in Portugal you know they're a long way off the league leaders in sporting mm. uh, and I thought they looked vulnerable defensively they've got some old players at the back there you know um Who's in there from Spurs? Is it uh, Vertonghen? Vertonghen? And they have Otamendi. I mean, look, Otamendi. Yeah, yeah. You know, they had a new guy in there, and I think as well, you know, the the what they lack in pace, they certainly make up for in terms of experience. You know, and they they sort of dealt with the offside line pretty well. Um, so you know, there is experience there, but you can see how how you can hurt them. 
You yeah. know, we, we, we had that twigged. I mean, you wouldn't necessarily say that, that we are the most intelligent team in the world based on what we've done uh, in recent times. It's not been one of our defining features anyway. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. you know, even we had that worked out pretty early on. No, I mean, one, I think one of the frustrations people had was that they felt Arsenal were kind of slow moving the ball in the final stages of the game. You know, were they progressing it quickly enough? Sure. Do you think tired legs yeah. played a part in that? Yeah, I think so. I mean, um, Louise and Gabriel played uh, against Leeds and played the full 90. Granit Xhaka did too. I mean, Sabayas, again, you know, when he runs out of steam, um, it's like when you used to have uh, a, a walkman and the batteries were going, your Walkman, and the music would start. And that's that's kind of, that's Xhaka or Ceballos towards the end of games. Xhaka, you know, has played basically more minutes than any other midfielder. He has played every game, I think, since since he came back from uh, suspension that time. So, yeah, and look, when you have players like Luis and like Xhaka who do have a bit of form for for being slow at times. I think, you know, that's certainly true of Louise. You know, mm-hmm. he, he he sometimes, it feels to me like he takes his breather on the ball, if you like. Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. He's like, okay, I've got the ball now. I'll just do my thing and no one's going to come near me because uh, I'll just pop it off if someone does. But I'll hold on to it for a bit and just sort of get my breath here, you know. So I think there was an element of that as well, some fatigue. And, and when it's coupled with players who who are guilty of that from time to time, yeah, I understand why why it was infuriating. But I think, and I think it's interesting in Shaka's case, I think he doesn't actually take as many touches as you might assume. I think it's mm. more his one-footedness that kind of limits him. It means that he has to go backwards at times when you'd like him to go forwards mm. but in terms of sort of getting it and giving it um he's certainly quicker at doing that than than louise and i think sabios even though i thought sabios had a pretty good night last night i mean there were some really good passes coupled with some of the the delaying that mm. we're accustomed to with him um but i think fatigue probably was a factor and like i say just that general caginess that kind of crept into the tie yeah it was open and we had the opportunity to kill it. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't take it. Okay, well, look, fingers crossed for the second leg yeah. at home next week in Greece. At home. Mm. At home in <laughs> Greece. Um, yeah, and look, we, we obviously have a big game on, on Sunday. We're not going to discuss that too much here because we'll be doing a, a preview podcast uh, for Patreon members. That will be out later on this afternoon. So a full Man City preview looking at that game and what we might do uh, can be found at patreon.com forward slash arsblog a little bit later on this afternoon. Right. We'll leave it there for part one. We're going to come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. 
Only at Sleep Number stores or SleepNumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer the questions that you sent to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at ArsBlog, and also on the ArsBlog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an ArsBlog member on Patreon. Before we get into the questions, James, a couple of things. One, we have been uh, nominated in the Football Supporters Association Awards for Best Fan Media. Uh, we're up against some pretty stiff competition there. So some really good websites uh, belonging to other clubs, but then there are other clubs, so we don't want them to win. So if, if you want, please to vote for, if you want, please, if you could vote for Ars Blog, we'd be very uh, appreciative of that. You'll find a link either on the site for this post, for this podcast, or in the show notes. So have a look at the show notes on your podcast app right now as you're listening on your phone. Click the thing and it will take you to uh, the voting form. There's also some other Arsenal people you can vote for as well. Uh, I think it's Alex Scott and Ian Wright are up for Best Pundit and okay. uh, Vivian Miedema who is up for Women's Player of the Year. So if you could take the time to vote for Arsblog, we'd appreciate that. That'd be great. That'd be lovely. Um, and I know times are a little bit tough and everyone's having a, a weird, difficult time, but a couple of things I just want to recommend. One is um, just a podcast. I know many of you listen to uh, WTF with Mark Maron. I thought the episode mm. with Sam Neill this week was really great, just as an absolute kind of palate cleanser for everything that's going on at this moment in time when he's talking about, uh, you know, his vineyards and his animals. I don't know if you follow him on, on Twitter or Instagram. Um, I don't. He's great. Great. He's really great. There's a lot of kind of funny videos and he's got a vineyard and farm animals. He's got a, uh, I think it's a goat or a sheep or a cow called Jeff Goldblum. Um, yeah. So it's good. And he's he's talking about goat testicles and things like that, which is, you know, fascinating stuff to get your head out of the, um, the mire that we're all in at this moment in time. And also just to mention an episode, which I haven't listened to yet, but I, I'm sure this is going to be good uh, from our friend uh, Tayo Papula. DJ Tayo, uh, a love letter to Ian Wright, uh, which is available now uh, uh, via Giant on Spotify. Um, it's a 25-minute episode all about Ian Wright with Tayo, Amy Lawrence, I think Tim Stillman, Alan Davies involved in that. So that's going to be my afternoon listening. So just to get some goodness out there in the world, um, have a listen to those things. I think you'll enjoy them. Yes, I, and I definitely I can't wait to listen to that Ian Wright one. Mm. Sounds brilliant. Does all right. Um, I am going to go first with the questions because I let you go first the last time, and this is episode uh, right. four hundred. Um, Ghetto Kaiba, who's at Kaiba Ghetto on Twitter, says, "Am I the only one who thought this game suited Lacazette up top? Even at halftime, when we knew they were sitting back, he could put a, a shift in front, holding the ball up. What do you guys think?" Hmm. I think you might be the only one. <laughs> uh, personally, 
I thought that playing a Bemiang against that really high line was pretty effective. And um, <clears throat> sorry, I got a bit of a cough there. I uh, yeah, I, I didn't feel the need to change that, and I thought it was the mm. right thing to bring Martinelli on for Bemiang because mm. you know that was where the space had been. Maybe as the game developed in that final fifteen minutes or so, as Benfica began to sit a bit deeper, we might have thought, ah, you know, we could actually use Lacazette maybe slightly more than Martinelli. But I understood why the changes were made mm. and. Uh, no, I, I mean, I'm, I'm someone who likes Lacazette in that role, I think, you know, more than a lot of other people, but this wasn't a fixture where I felt his absence particularly. What about you? Yeah, I just don't think Lacazette is in those positions. You know mm. what I mean? I don't think Lacazette gets into those positions that Aubameyang got into last night. Now, if you mm. put Lacazette in those positions, would he maybe have taken one of those goals? I'm, you know, you'd be confident, wouldn't you, that he could finish the one that Aubameyang missed. Um, and I think Aubameyang uh, himself would feel confident that he could finish that 99 yeah. times out of 100 with his eyes uh, closed, blindfolded, and having been spun around 50 times like at a child's uh, birthday party game, that kind of thing. So, you know, yeah, I, I, I just don't think, I, I just think there's a difference in, in where those strikers would be where, when those moves developed the way that they did. Yeah, I think that's right. I yeah. think that's right. I think there will be days for Lacazette, and I think Lacazette will play games between now and the end of the season, but maybe even starting this weekend. Mm. Um, but last night wasn't one where I felt we missed him. Um, what about this question from Tom Jenkins at Tom H Jenkins 97? Is Rob Holding unlucky to have been dropped? He's been one of our most consistent players this season. Louise so often slows our build up down so much. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I wonder if there's an element of Louise playing because Gabrielle is playing. That's an interesting point. I hadn't considered that. You know, the the... The two Portuguese speakers, the two Brazilians, yeah. So maybe there's an element of, of that well, Cedric going on. as well, the Portuguese speaker on the other side of him. Sure. So. You know, so maybe there's a there's an element of that. Um, you know, I don't think Louise and Gabrielle is necessarily a bad partnership. Um, we weren't really talking about Louise slowing things down when we were 4-0 up against Leeds. No. You know, so um, is holding a little unlucky to be dropped? Maybe. Um, I think he's I don't done, know if he was dropped per yeah, se. I think he was probably rested, but and then we won a game, and it, yeah. uh, and the team kept their places. Do you know what I mean? I don't yeah. think it was anything against Rob Holding, more so just a kind of reward for the team that played against Leeds. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it's 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 really hard to make definitive uh, judgments on Arteta's team selection decisions because they tend, from the outside anyway, to seem a bit random or arbitrary or, or what have you. I mean, i tell you one thing that, that I did notice this week. Um, in his pre-game press conference, Mikel Arteta was asked about Nicolas Pepe and you know his record in the Europa League and the recent good form that he's shown. And he was, he was positive about Pepe and he was positive about, you know, we've seen good things from him and, you know, what have you. But then he talked about Martin Odegaard mm. and there was a difference in right. that he seems particularly smitten with Martin Odegaard and, and the qualities that he has. Like he was um, a when he was talking about him. With Pepe, it was much more matter of fact, even though he was being he was being positive about him. I mean, I think Arteta has this, I don't know if you can call it fantastic, but this amazing ability to say 
a lot in response to a question, but you're still kind of left scratching your head at times. Yeah. Like, he he gives very little away. Like, he was asked about the Aubameyang tattoo thing and, you know, gave an answer, and it was like, I still have no idea what happened here. Well, he has a a slight (laughs) cyborg quality to him. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And, like, some of it, he's straight up. He just goes, I'm not going to talk about that. I won't talk about this. I'm not going to talk about, you know, a transfer rumor, for example. I can't talk about a player at another club. Simple. Bash it away. But he does have this... There's a there's a, a sort of hard shell to to get through. I've completely lost my train of thought here as to why why am I talking about this? We're talking about team selection decisions, Rob Holding, David Luiz, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I just wonder if there was an element of fatigue with Holding as well. He played a lot. I mean, he played pretty much every game for mm. what a couple of months, and mm. I think yeah. at some point there is an, a, a need to if not protect the player, just give him a bit of a break to recharge his batteries. So maybe yeah. it's maybe it's that. I'll be interested to see, you know, what happens with the team on on Sunday. With regards to Louise, I know he can slow the play up and he does frustrate me um, in, in that sense. And I have, you know, fairly deep concerns about his ability to to self-destruct or implode or to get involved in incidents which are which are damaging to us, you know? He can play really well for three or four games and then something happens yet again with David Luiz. So, you know, that's never far from the back of my mind with him. What have you made of Gabriel since he's come back into the team? Good. 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 Wasn't good against Southampton in his first game back. No. But no, look rusty, man. he did, but that was, you know, a month out with COVID, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, you can understand why, why that might be the case. Um, I, I wonder as well if, if holding and Gabrielle is quite, what's the word you used earlier on? Simpatico in terms of their, their compatibility, you know, um, mm. Whereas, you know, he looked good against Leeds. I thought he played a really smart game against Leeds. I know we conceded a couple of goals, but overall, uh, I thought it was a a good central defensive performance from him. I thought he was good last night. He created that chance for for Aubameyang. Yeah, Uh, It was a really good long pass. I'm not sure he's quite got his eye in there when it comes to the long passing, but you know he does try a few, and one came off last night. So I think he's looking a bit more like the Gabriel we saw, you know, early on in the in the um, in the season. Uh, so yeah, I I've, agree. I've been I've been happy with him in the last I couple have of been games too. Mm. I, I still think the balance of a partnership is kind of still sort of question to be solved you know who is the right partner for you I'm not Mm. 100% convinced by either holding or Louise in that respect Uh, and it's not even a sort of personal thing against those players it's just you know is that the right Mm. chemistry Um, and I think my hunch is that maybe you know that's going to be someone who's outside the club at the moment Um, but I think Gabrielle has looked significantly better since that Southampton game and seems to be finding some sort of rhythm again and given his age and the investment in him you know it's tempting to keep that going Mm. Um, you mentioned Mikel Arteta eulogising about Mm. uh, Martin Odegaard there's been a lot of 
questions from different people about the prospect of signing him. Nayef on the Discord says, Morning, gents. Is there a chance we keep Odegaard permanently? I was looking at some stuff today. Um, Look, every club has their stuff account, don't they? You know, the stuff account that aggregates. We've got uh, AFC stuff and what have you. But there was, a, I think it was a Madrid stuff account. And, And look... The, the stuff that those stuff accounts stuff onto their timelines ranges from, you know, uh, solid information and quotes to really speculative stuff. Um, but I saw them talking about, this was the Madrid stuff, stuff um, talking about how in the wake of the Kylian Mbappe performance in midweek where he you know brutalized barcelona so amusing he was unbelievably good um (laughs) you know they were going to sell off a load of players to try and bring him in because basically they're fucking broke uh so are barcelona but the you know they're gonna have a bit of a fire sale so they can put all their eggs in the basket if you like um so how true that is i do not know but if it genuinely is something that they want to do and they need money in a big way, based on what I've seen so far from Martin Odegaard, I would be I'd be on for it. I would green light that deal. If it were me and they said it's twenty five million for Martin Odegaard right now, do you do it? I'd do it. Right, yeah. Even on this tiny, tiny sure. sample size. Yeah. Sure, sure, sure. These could be famous last words. They could come back to haunt me, but all I can give you is my um, my gut instinct, my gut feeling on this, and I would do it because I, I see a lot to like about the way he not just plays the game, but the way he sees the game. Yeah, I do too. And I, I wonder as well, you know, you spoke about Arteta being incredibly positive about him. His press conference is part of that, uh, that he's got a player here who's a Real Madrid player that he wants to try and convince to remain in North London. And, mm. you know, he's he's got to launch a bit of a charm offensive because Odegaard moved to Madrid as a teenager and, you know, presumably with dreams of becoming an important part of their first team at some stage. And if there is a mm. managerial change there or if, you know, a big turnover in the squad, that opportunity could still be there for him. And ultimately, I, I do feel that with these players who belong to Real Madrid... Um, if they have the, if they feel they have the opportunity to play for Madrid, it's going to be very difficult to dissuade them of pursuing that. But I, I, I hope, I hope we can keep Martin Odegaard. Yeah, he I looks mean, very talented. Imagine, imagine uh, the conversation you have to have with Martin Odegaard. You know, come join us at Arsenal. No, don't worry about firing through uh, assists and passes for Kylian Mbappe. What do you th- Come on. Anyone could do that. The real challenge, the real challenge is making Eddie and Kedia into a 20 goal a season striker. Yeah. <laughs> Seeing if we can break back into the top six. <laughs> I suppose we need to yeah, have yeah, a measure yeah. of realism of course, about this. Of course. But, you know, I'm just saying in an ideal world, if it were possible, I would be happy to do it right now. Yeah. Maybe they should try and do it right now before mm. he keeps being really good and gets much more expensive. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's yeah. the other question is, you know, we, we don't know what Madrid would expect to receive for a player like that. Mm. Um, Quite a lot, yeah, I, I would say. I, I've, you know, I, of course, I'm doing the classic fan thing of slightly falling for a player who doesn't belong to us, leading to my heart inevitably being broken. So... Is, yeah. is that any worse than falling for a player who does belong to you and is so good that he goes somewhere else anyway? True. True. 
Absolutely. So, so, yeah, I mean, let's hope they do need to raise a lot of money very quickly and they'll sell them to us for like a tenner. Yeah, I <laughs> hope so. All right, Matt, 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 um, who is on the Discord, had a big number one hit, didn't he? Feel it in his fingers. Oh, that's the guy. Anyway, he says, what are your impressions of Smith Rowe on the left? He seems to have some stylistic attributes in common with Perez. Ooh. But the intelligence of his movement was working very well in the center, and he looks a little marginalized out wide. Uh, I think he has been slightly pushed to the margins. I mean, in a literal sense, he's sort of playing from the wide areas. I think it means he's probably on the ball a little bit less. But, I mean, Arsenal do so much of their build-up play down the flanks, I wouldn't even be sure that's true. I think it I think it works for him, actually. I think it suits him. Mm. And I think it enables us to squeeze in an Odegaard next to him who brings different qualities. You know, Smith-Rowe, if you ask me to say what his really positive traits, um, I mean, he's got a lot. But for me, his off-the-ball running and movement mm. is really high on that list. Whereas Odegaard's much more a kind of on-the-ball player and I think a better passer than Smith-Rowe. Um, so actually, I think they dovetail pretty effectively together. Uh, so I, I like Smith-Rowe on the left. And I have to say, I'm really looking forward to seeing it once Kieran Tierney's back starting too. Yeah, I, I hadn't really considered Smith Rowe on the left as an mm. option. You know what I mean? I know we've seen him play on the right, but you know the idea of him as a as a left sided player hadn't really occurred to me a great deal uh, because I saw him a bit more centrally, and certainly the role he was playing for us was was more central and effectively. But we talked about it on the last podcast as well, in that he did have you know a good game against Leeds. Working with Aubameyang, knowing when to come in, knowing when to combine, providing space for Aubameyang to move into out there when he needed to and 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 everything else. So I think there's something interesting there. It really depends what you're looking for, though, doesn't it? Do you want like a classic winger on the left side of your front three? I mean, we don't have that anyway. We've got Aubameyang, who's a striker who wants to be in the middle. We've got um, Pepe, who plays there. Um, but again... You know, he's somebody who's played most of his football on the right-hand side, and he's not the kind of... He's not... Who was that guy that used to play for... He's the classic left-footed, knock it past him, put a cross in winger. He used to play for Blackburn. Stuart Ripley? Uh, Was that that the guy? uh, Jason Wilcox. Jason Wilcox. Yeah, that guy. He's not that guy on the left-hand side. Saka can play there. We know that he can do a job out there. Um, Martinelli as well, but I think we're beginning to see more and more that Martinelli might have a a role to play in the centre. So it really depends what the team or what Mikel Arteta wants from the player on that left-hand side. And I think... It kind of suits Smith Rowe. I think you're right to say that his movement and his combination play and the way he kind of dips in and out of pockets of space to to make things happen rather than pick up the ball, look up and play that kind of killer 30, 40 yard pass, the precision assist or, or creative pass. I'm not saying he can't do it, but I don't think that's necessarily his game in the way that it is with, with Odegaard. No, I don't think we're asking Smith Rowe to play as a winger, really. You know, no. I mean, especially with Tierney there, he's going to provide the overlap and the width. Smith Rowe is going to be allowed to come inside. He did that really effectively, mm. kind of interchanging with Aubameyang against Leeds. Um, we need to see more of this. You know, we need to see mm. more of this shape and see how the relationships develop. But I don't think. Uh, 
I don't think it hurts Smith Rowe too much to be pushed into wide areas because when he plays as a number 10, mm. he ends up drifting into those spaces anyway. You know, I think it's where he instinctively knows he can do most damage. Um, so, yeah, I, the main thing I'm pleased with him is how much football he's playing. You know, he's playing game after game. Touch wood seems to be coming through it really, really well. Mm. And I think at his age, at this point in his development, to take that kind of physical step is huge for him. Okay, well, let me follow that one up with one from the Discord as well, from Arsenal Monkey, who says, are you worried at all with the number of minutes some of our crucial players are getting? Aubameyang could have been subbed on Sunday after his hat-trick. Emile Smith-Rowe seems to be playing a lot for an injury-prone player with direct cover in Odegaard, uh, and Saka uh, barely gets a rest and is being kicked to bits by the opposition. Something has to give, and I hope it isn't forced by injury. Sorry for going to negative town. And there was also one on Twitter as well from Nishant, who's at Nishant Gunner 10, who says, Arteta spoke about managing Saka's minutes. Do you expect him to be on the bench on Sunday in a game where we won't have much of the ball? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's funny with Smith Rowe, because I've kind of had those injury concerns about him previously, as I said, I sort of feel encouraged by the fact he's able to play with so much repetition with Saka. Maybe it's just because he's been so brilliant recently, but I do have that kind of impending sense of doom. Is something bad just around the corner? I might have just been burnt by previous trauma with young Arsenal players. I don't think Saka will play against Man City. Mm. I think he he has to be due a break. What do you think? Yeah, I think I think if we're you're going to look at the Man City game as one where we have to do something different to to stay in the game. I'm not saying it's going to be a backs to the wall. Um, well, could it be a back three? Oh God, I hope not. Um, mm. It's been quite effective against them uh, in the past. Well, yeah. it certainly wasn't the FA Cup semi-final. Yeah, that's true. I hadn't considered that, actually. I just sort of assumed we would be playing with a with a bank four. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, I think if you are looking at the Man City game as one which is going to be very difficult for us to to get anything from, and from which we're going to have to put in a hell of a defensive effort. I mean, I am definitely any- looking at it as one that is going to be difficult for us to get anything. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sure. So you, do you do you ask other players to do the kind of running that, that Saka has been doing? It that, that makes sense now that, you know, now that it's put out there. It does make sense. Um, I mean, look, it would be fantastic to get a result against Man City. It would be a huge fillet for Arteta and for our running. Um mm. But I don't know. I just feel that second leg against Benfica looms very, very large. I think arguably the game against Leicester the following weekend looms large too. I Mm. mean, you know, although Leicester are comfortably ahead of us in the table, that does feel like a more winnable game than facing Man City in the kind of form they're in. Um, So I'd almost be tempted to kind of load my team up more for that one than this. I think personally and I know you're going to be doing a preview pod, you'll talk about this more on that, but I'd be looking at people like Lacazette and Pepe who've not played a huge amount of minutes in the last week or so and Mm. thinking this might be the day for them. Yeah, I think it's a day for, certainly it's going to be a day for fresher legs uh, because City will move you around the way that they do. Um, And I do think we have to manage Saka's minutes. We've got to. 
at some point. We can't just keep playing him and playing him and playing him and and hoping, A, he's going to be physically all right, B, there won't be any long-term consequences, or, or C, he breaks down somewhere along the way. You know, at some point, the, the run of form that he's in will not necessarily come to an end, but, you know, he's not going to keep producing at this rate I don't think mm. anyway I mean I could be wrong and I hope I am but I think at some point he's going to have a little bit of a dip and some of that will be physical and how quickly he can get back to his peak physical level will will determine in some way how quickly he can get back to producing on the pitch as well so I mean as always with these things they're making more informed decisions yes of than course us, you know of course and we have to hope that all that's being taken properly into account another name that I'd throw in to the hat for Man City, by the way, is Gabriel Martinelli, who mm. was really impressive against them in the Carabao Cup game, I think, until he maybe had to go off injured. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. He got so injured before I, the break, didn't he? And then he came yeah. back out and lasted about two minutes. Yeah, and I think, you know, he'd had a pretty good first half and seemed to cause him some problems mm. on the left flank. So I think he's another option that you could throw in. I, I would be resting some weary legs. I'm trying to think of others who might need it, maybe... Shaka, if you if you can, um, but yeah, we shall see. I, I, it's not a game. It's a game. I'm sort of intrigued to see how we fare in, but not one that I'm placing uh, a huge amount of hope on. I have to admit. Yeah, I mean, it's it is an interesting one in that people are saying, "Well, look, we're not going to get anything out of this game, so you know, why do anything that might be considered risky?" Mm. At the same time, though, you kind of have to measure yourself against the best team and the best teams in the league. You can't just sort of go into a game and say, well, they're much better than us. What happens here doesn't matter. You yeah, know, I that th- will never be the case no. for Arteta against Man City anyway. No, I don't think, you that's know, true. A clear motivation. Yeah, there. for sure. And, and like it brings me on to this question from the Discord from Cyan Man, who says, when people suggest we focus on the Europa League, what does that mean? That they wouldn't be bothered if we lost in the Premier League? Surely winning as many games as possible is crucial to building momentum, confidence and support for the club and places us in a stronger position for next season. So, you know, all the rationalisation that people might do about, okay, look, we have to focus on Europa League. It's our only chance of silverware. We win a trophy. We get into the Champions League. All of those things I see, I acknowledge. But nobody's... um, Nobody will excuse bad results or bad performances in the Premier League unless you go all the way and you win that trophy. And even then, people will be saying, well, yeah, we won the cup competition, but our our form in the league was terrible. It is a difficult balance, isn't it? It is, yeah, it is. And ultimately, it's only results that determine whether you got it right or not. Um, I think... Man City might be a bit of an exception in some ways in that I think they're so clearly ahead of everybody else in the Premier League this season Mm. that I think people will be a bit more philosophical about the outcome of that game. But I think, you know, say the Leicester one in a couple of weeks' time, uh, if we play a rotated side in that match and are heavily beaten, I don't think people will take kindly to that. Um, So, yeah, when when you say put the Europa League first, what does it mean? I guess what it means is if you're saying we can't play Bukayo Saka in every single game, which are the games you take him out of? Um, And I suppose people who favour pursuing the European side would say, well, look, you take him out of a Premier League game here and there. Mm. But you're absolutely right. It's not a case of all or nothing. And I think Arteta, I think the fact that he picked the same team for Leeds and for Benfica shows that 
he's kind of making this up on the fly a little bit. You know, I don't think he came into this fortnight thinking, right, well, I'll pick the same team for those two games. I think that he was encouraged by what happened against Leeds and then decided to stick with it. Mm. And now he's got another decision to make about what he does for Man City. And I'm sure what happens there will influence what he does against Benfica and Leicester. You know, it does feel as if he's kind of riding this and seeing how players respond to games, how players perform, Mm. you know, what injuries do we pick up? It's a really difficult task in a really intense, tricky period. And I guess the other the other side of it is he might be thinking, well, if we don't perform well in these games, our season is over. Therefore, I'm going to put out the strongest 11 I can mm. in each of these four matches and then sort of kind of see where we are. Um, yeah, make an assessment then if you get through to the, well, it's the round exactly. of 16 and then you get yeah. the, the quarterfinals. I mean, look, the, the Premier League... When you look at the table, 34. So, you know, we're we're six points off sixth. Mm. That's not something you can just write off, in my opinion. Even if you consider the Europa League more important, a six-point gap to your European football next season, whether you want Europa League next season or not, that's a different debate and maybe one we can have in a, a few weeks' time. But... You know, I you well, well, maybe maybe we should have the debate again, kind of in uh, about this Premier League versus Europa League, almost after that Leicester game, because mm. I do wonder how much clearer the picture will be there. A, we'll know if we're through to the next round in the Europa League, and I do wonder if that gap, you know, maybe it will have closed, maybe it will have widened, and at that point, mm. it might become a little more apparent kind yeah. of where our hope lies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is it another, my turn for a question? I think so. If you've got okay. one. Yeah, so this is from Yotanwas Bay, who's at Yam Yam Baklava. Mm. I like that name on Twitter. Uh, and they say, do you think the divide amongst fans on certain players has reached a critical level? Players like Bellerin receive so much flack, even refusing to give him his dues when he plays good, only waiting to prey on his downfall again. I don't know if it's reached. What was the phrase? Cri- yeah, critical level. I think it's always been like that. Mm. Genuinely, I think it's always been like that with, with certain players that they become, there's almost like a cycle. They, you know, they become divisive and then, you know, it, maybe it goes so far one way, people begin to feel a bit sorry for them. And, yeah. you know, it comes back around. Uh I, I just think it's always been like that with certain players. There are always players who are going to be divisive at any club, in any team. There's going to be people who just absolutely can't stand him. And there are people who, perhaps in response to that, um, you know, back that player. Like I thought Bellerin yeah. was quite good last night, but I'm sure there are lots of people who don't want to see anything good that Hector Bellerin does. And look, I, you know, I get accused of this all the time because I have a soft spot for Hector Bellerin. That's fine. No, people yeah. can like who they like, right? I'm not, yeah. It's not criminal to think he's bad and it's not criminal to think he's good or it's not you know wrong to think he's better than some people think. Similarly, maybe he's not as good as other people think. You know what I mean? Those differences of opinion around players have been part of the conversation for time immemorial. And, you know, Bellerin will go and Shaka will go and Ozil has gone and... Even Aubameyang, to a certain extent. 
you know, I was talking to somebody on the on the arses this morning, um, and we were just chatting about, you know, what was going on, and he sort of said, well, I don't think Aubameyang deserved to start last night. I was like, well, he just scored a hat-trick in the previous <laughs> game, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, those differences of, of opinion are, are just part and parcel of the, the, the football conversation that we all have, one way or another, and we all have our favourites, and we all... Are, are more willing, let's say, to overlook deficiencies in players we like than ones we don't like. That is human nature. So... As I, I think that's right. I think uh, that's true. I think social media may kind of accelerate and amplify the degree to which those debates become kind of polarised. Um, you know, I think there's a tendency to kind of set up people in very direct opposition. Yeah. Um, there is a, there's an idea, isn't there, that, that it can only be black or white. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's either or, and there's nothing in between. You can't exist in the middle ground, or the middle ground does not exist when it comes to strident opinions on players. I think that's true of social media, that, that you know, you, you can say, well, I like this about him, but I don't think he's good at that. That's like, yeah. whoa, what the, f- What? You've What's got that? to be a, a Bellerin stan, as they say, or you've mm. got to think Bellerin's a fraud or something. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. And that's the way it is. But I think you're right. These debates have always happened, and there is a kind of cyclical nature to it. You know, it changes. There's always... I'm not sure if scapegoat is quite, quite the right word, but I think our kind of consciousness as a fan base will sort of focus on different players yeah. or areas of the team at different times. And it's tempting to say, unless you're winning everything... That's always going to happen. There's always going to be an imperfection. There's always going to be an, an upgrade. But oh, you know, I remember when we were winning everything. Yeah. <laughs> and those conversations still happened. You know, the Invincibles, I remember people saying, well, you know, is Lauren really a natural right back? Or Gilberto, he's very good defensively, but can he pass enough? Or what if we could get David Trezeguet to play up front with Henri instead of Dennis Burkamp? You know, someone who scored 30 goals, a fox in the box. But yeah, people yeah. always are looking for improvement. Yeah, like, you know, um, you know, when the team is that good and it's doing well, there's still going to be players who people um, focus on. Like, you think mm-hmm. about Pascal Sigan, And, you know, this is yeah. a guy who made a, a, a solid contribution to our season, to going unbeaten. Was he the greatest player in the world? Absolutely not. But, uh, you know, mm-hmm. at that time, in comparison to, you know, Saul Campbell, uh, Colo Toure, and how good they were that season – the focus goes to the guy who's slightly down the pecking order to an extent, yeah. you know? And I think he was, by the way, I think he was better than mm. a lot of the centre-halves we had since then. <laughs> I think that's true. Um, I think that's yeah. true. But I guess the barometer, you know, kind of moves, doesn't yeah, it, depending yeah, yeah, on yeah. the standard of the team. But yeah, I think this is always going to be the case and there are always going to be players who are in the firing line. Um, you know, we know who some of the ones are mm. at Arsenal at present. And mm. it, maybe that will shift. Maybe it will rotate. It's kind of an amorphous thing, but I don't think it's going anywhere. No, it's not. And it's just, like I said, it is what it is. And five years down the line, uh, you know, when we're doing episode 800 or whatever it might be, fingers crossed, uh, you know, we're all still around and the world isn't a Bernie fiery mess. Um, you know, we'll be having a similar conversation about a different player 
or different planets. Exactly. It's exactly it's just the way it is. But and look, I'll be obese from consuming hundreds upon hundreds of Kit Kats and yellow M and M's. Don't forget the <laughs> yellow M and M's, which brings us nicely to the end of this particular podcast. We're a little bit pushed for time today, so we're going to leave it there for now. As ever, thank you very much indeed for listening. Uh, preview pod from Man City available on Patreon a bit later on. We'll be here on Monday to talk about whatever happens between uh, Arsenal and Man City uh, at the weekend. So please join us for that. So until then, take it easy. Bye-bye. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. 